let the Lord lead you down those for those connections. So hope that's, uh, hope that's a good option for you. I'd like to take you to the uh, book of 2 Kings. Reading out of 2 Kings this morning, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We have had a theme over the last several weeks about giving and service and availability and, uh, and those, those kinds of things. So uh, this is really probably a part two to last, to last Sunday's message. 2 Kings chapter 4, it says, One day the wife of a man from the guild of prophets called out to Elisha. Elisha himself was a prophet. So the wife of a prophet called to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You well know what a good man he was, devoted to God. And now the man to whom he was in debt is on his way to collect by taking my two children as slaves. Now, today, if I skip my car payments, they just come and tow my car. Back then, what you might use as collateral is your children. It's a thought. (laughs) Use your children as collateral, and then you don't pay, and they come and take your kids. So that is the deal. That's the setup that they owed some money. The man died. Women in this culture typically were not wage earners. They didn't, they, they didn't bring an in income. And so you've got this setup. Verse 2, Elisha says, Well, I wonder how I can be of help. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Nothing, she said. And she said, Well, I do have a little oil. I do have a little oil. Well, here's what you do, said Elisha. Go up and down the street and borrow jugs and bowls, borrow containers, borrow vessels from all your neighbors. And not just a few. All that you can get. Then come home, lock the door behind you, you and your sons. Lock yourself in the house and pour oil into each container when each is full. Set it aside. Get as many as you can. Find as many vessels as you can and bring them to the house Lock the door, take the oil that you have, and begin to pour it in to each container. And when it is full, set it aside and go to the next one. Well, she did what he said. She locked the door behind her and her sons. As they brought the containers to her, she filled them. And when all the jugs and bowls were full, she said to one of her sons, Another vessel, please. Another jug, please. Another container, please. And he said, That's it. There are no more jugs. No more containers. No more vessels. And then it says, then the oil stopped. She went and told the story to the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, make good on your debts. Live, both you and your sons, on what's left. Gather all the vessels you can. Pour that oil into those vessels. When you run out of vessels, she didn't know this, but as soon as you run out of vessels, the oil stops. A lot of times we pray for the Holy Spirit to fall. We pray for the Holy Spirit to fill the room. Please come, Holy Spirit. That wasn't Jesus' prayer. We talked about that last week. Jesus' prayer request was that there would be 
laborers. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he sends laborers into the harvest. Jesus' prayer was that there would be laborers. Can I extend this and say Jesus' prayer is that there would be vessels? Jesus prayed that there would be vessels. And according to this story, this is a legitimate miracle that stands alone all by itself. But my question would be, what can we get out of this? What can we lift from this text and see? What would be a principle that we might be able to step into and apply? That as long as there are vessels, the oil flows and fills. The problem is not the oil. The problem is not the oil. Here I am, Lord, empty. Come on now. What are you waiting on? That is not what this story is. The story says that when I'm an open vessel, he fills me. And the more vessels, the more oil. The oil being a sign of the anointing. The oil being a sign of the Spirit upon us. Can we find those vessels? Huh, wonder. Can we find them? Can we get them? Can we gather them? Would the Lord in all of his sovereignty and ability and omniscience and omnipotence and power, as we pray, Lord, send vessels, would you be an answer to that prayer? Would it actually be you? You. Of course. Of course, and not being a native to Terre Haute, but being a transplant, we're just about eight years here, just about to have that little anniversary, eight years, and to recognize because I'm not a native, I grew up in southern Illinois, but I was away for a long time, and to come back and to have opportunity to connect with other people who aren't from here either, who are vessels who were brought here, who are vessels, and I'm talking about both coasts, north and south, all over the country, overseas and other places, vessels that were brought here. Vessels that are actually even brought into this, this literal space. Vessels open for oil. Sometimes we get things a little off in our thoughts, our prayer. Think of the parable of the sower. Have you ever heard the parable of the sower? Parable of the sower. That is a bad choice of a name. That's a bad choice of a name of a parable. Like the prodigal son, that's a bad choice of a name of a parable. That's just a bad choice. Prodigal means to deviate from the norm. That's what prodigal means. Prodigal means to deviate from the norm. Like there's a normative thing that you can anticipate and expect to happen, and prodigal would be to deviate from that. Okay, you're the younger son, you get half the inheritance, and you go squander it on parties. Is that abnormal? No, no, not named after him. The older brother, who we talked about earlier this month, that, you know, the story really isn't about the younger one, it's about the older one, but when you're the good kid, you've got this particular parameter in your mind, and you're checking all the boxes, and you have these expectations, but you feel like a slave in the father's house, and you get self-righteous and angry because God's mercy is given to someone else. Is that abnormal? It's not abnormal either. So far, we're 0 for 2. But there's a third character in that story, and it's the father. And the father that gets fleeced, and the father that gets taken, taken. 
and still loves and goes out and loves both boys and wraps his arms around them with kisses and robes and parties. That is abnormal. I like to call it the story of the prodigal father. Because that's the only one in the story that seems to be abnormal to me. And I think the same thing about the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow the seed, and the seed is the word of God. What's wrong with the word of God? It's not an issue of the seed, and it's not an issue of the sower. The sower would just take seed and broadcast it. That's literally what it was called. They'd have a bag, they'd reach in, and they'd just go and broadcast it. Throw it, broadcast it. And where it landed, now that mattered. Much more accurate, I think, to call it the parable of the soils. The condition of the soil. Good ground, and some of us have that. And by the way, I used to think, a new convert looked at me one time, I was teaching this, I was all eloquent and smart and everything, and she looked at me and she said, do you think that we're just one of those? Well, uh, I did. did. I really did. She's like, no, 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 no. We're all all of those. For which I am grateful. Thank you, Jeanette Bessinger, for clearing that up for me 25 years ago. We're all of those. Because every one of us have good ground. Every one of us have ground that's producing something. You have good ground, good things. Satan tries to steal the word from us. That's true for everybody also. We have an enemy of our soul. There are stones in there. Those are the rocks. That's the shame. That's the resentment. Those are the blocks. Most of us have that as well, unfortunately, where the word springs up on Sunday and you're like, what? And Tuesday it is wilted because there's no depth. There's no ability to have moisture. It's blocked from resentments and hurts and shame. And then the last one, the thorny ground. The thorny ground, what does the thorn do? The scripture tells us this is one of the parables where Jesus actually explains what's going down. He says, here's the parable. The parable is that the thorny ground is the what? Cares of life. And it's the cares of life that choke the seed. Should we be praying, Lord, send better seed? You might be praying Sunday after Sunday, Lord, you could send us a better sower. Can we get a better sower around here? (laughs) Okay? Even me speaking of me, it ain't the sower and it ain't the seed. It's the soil, and that soil cannot be choked. The best seed doesn't live in choked soil, nor can a vessel receive spirit when it's full of something else. It's an empty vessel. We bring an empty vessel. Stephen Covey is the first place I heard this, but I use it a lot Monday to Friday. I use this visual a lot where there's a large jar and a professor, so the story goes, a professor put these large softball-sized rocks in a jar, a clear jar. You could see through it. These large softball-sized rocks all the way to the top, right at the brim. Then he looks to his students and he says, is this full? And everyone says, yep, it's, you can't get another big rock in there for sure. He says, oh, no, 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 it's not full. And then he takes some pea-sized gravel, and he starts shaking it in there and moving the jar, right? And you can think about it. It's just wiggling all the way down, filling up. And then you see a little bit of the side of the rock, and you see the pea gravel in the jar. And right at the top, just sweep it right off like a measuring cup, just sweep off the gravel. He looks around, and he says, is this full? And again, the students say, yes, it's full. And he goes, oh, no, no, 
It's not full. And then he takes sand and he starts sifting sand in and working the sand down. And you can see it working down through the pea gravel to the bottom and building up along the sides. Again, swipes off the top. And then he says, students, now is it full? And everyone again says, yes. And he says, no, it's not full. And grabs a pitcher of water and begins to pour water into it. Fills it all up. If you start with sand which is not the priority. The big rock is the priority. If you fill it with a lesser priority, fill it all the way up with sand, there will be no room for the big rock. So when our lives are filled with something else and we wonder why there's not flow and we wonder why it's all jumbled up in us and it gets choked down The vessel can't be full of something else. The land cannot be encumbered with something else. But we, every single one of us, we are called and chosen to be vessels. It's not the oil. It's the availability of the vessel. I'm going to ask Dana if you'll come up right now. Christway Church has been a partner, a monthly supportive partner financially supporting Next Step for several years. But there's a particular window of time right now, and I'd like Dana to share an opportunity with you. Good morning. Um, Twelve years ago, almost next month, um, I was given the opportunity to step in to be a vessel myself and to found Next Step. Uh, Link Hobbs, had incorporated Next Step, put me on the board, didn't tell me, uh, and then started saying, we're going to do this, we're going to help these people, we're going we're to find a way, and I said, it's not me, I can't do that, I don't know anything about how to help people with in addiction and recovery, um, and then God just kept working on me, kept working on me, and finally there was a, a sermon about Moses saying, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me, and I finally went, got in the car and said to Ron, I think I'm supposed to run Next Step. And he laughed. He said, we've all known that. And I've been telling them all, just wait, God will work on her. You can't tell her that. And I'm really, really, um, I know that one thing I know about God is that he blesses obedience. And I've been blessed because I was obedient to that call. And Marianne, thank you for that opening. Because where I am right now, next step has been a step of faith. And another step of faith. It's like, I call it the Indiana Jones experience. Right, where you step out and there's nothing there. We have done that over and over and over and over, and God has met us. People have donated houses. The houses we have were donated. What neighbor walks on your, knocks on your door and says, I think you're supposed to have my house? What neighbor does that, right? There's a story to every one of the houses we have, and every time we have stepped out in faith, God has met us. And so I feel very convicted that once again we're stepping out in faith, and once again I'm doing the worry wart thing. Once again, I'm doing the anxiety. Um, We have been, for the last year and a half, all of my people that have either been involved with Next Step or are alumni of Next Step, is there recovery without God? Darren, is there recovery without God? Is there recovery without God, Gwen? We believe at Next Step there is no recovery without God. And if you look at the most successful program, AA, from 1935, most successful program ever, and keep bringing people, uh, 
God's all throughout those 12 steps. Number one says I'm powerless. Number two says I came to believe there was power greater than me. And number three says I made a decision to turn my will and my care over to the life of, over to God, right? I, I'm, I'm tur- I can't do it. He can. I think I'll let him. One, two, three. And then the 12th step says, having had a spiritual awakening, I carried the message forward, right? There is no recovery without God. We know that. But we are attempting to do something that is very rare. And we've been working on it for the last year and a half. It is not, I, I absolutely understand the need for the medical model. I understand the need for treatment. But I'm sorry, it's not 30 days. There is no 30-day wash and spin cycle. Can I get an amen from those in recovery? <laughs> How many of you went to 30 days and then got kicked out and then ran the 30 days? And that's because of the way the insurance industry runs. The insurance companies decided the 30 days was what was needed and they'll pay for 30 days. So we're trying to do something that really hasn't been done. Um, we want to be, an, we wanted to get accreditation, that took forever and was a lot of heavy lifting to show that we could meet 1600 standards like hospitals do and treatment centers do and we're a little ministry. Heavy lift for us and we got accredited, we got the highest level, three year accreditation in September. And we are now launching tomorrow, so I'm here to appeal to you for your prayer. We are launching tomorrow and we're trying to prove and get a, get certified and licensed by the state. And I don't think there's a Christian ministry out there that has been certified and licensed by the state. We're trying to get certified the same way other addiction treatment centers get certified. But we don't want to do 30 days. We want to do what we do right now. Months. It takes months and years to solidly get a recovery. It takes community. It takes being able to, to have all kinds of experiences with other people in this community. We have seven houses now. Again, donated. Seven houses. We have a recovery cafe. We're going down to Sullivan. We're in Clinton. We're in, right? We've got transfer. God has blessed us. And so we stepped out, and I pulled the trigger. I, pulled, I, I, I drew a vision of a building next door in 2018. I need, we need more space. And last year, God said, pull the trigger. You're going to need that space. So I pulled the trigger. We got, a lot, we got the construction financing. It's being built. You can drive right by us. It's going to be a big mortgage. Took a step of faith thinking that for sure by now the state would have licensed us and we could start getting reimbursed for some services. Well, no, no, no. We are stuck in red tape, right? The enemy's using, took out, people left the certification and licensure division of DMHA, so now they're all backed up. They got 20 applications. They can't tell me when they'll get to mine. Oh, yes, you've met all of the requirements. Please be patient. Okay. But like every state organization bureaucracy, you're expecting us to be providing those services so you can show up unannounced to make sure that we're doing it. So I have to pay all these people and, and staff up, and I have no way to re- get that money reimbursed. That's why there are multi-million dollar companies built, opening up addiction treatment centers. They can afford to do that. But a small Christian ministry, can we go months and months and months with staff that needs to get paid without being able to get that reimbursed? It's hard right now. So we're in this little dip of a valley, and Dana has to do something Dana doesn't do. God, God cares more about growing our character than anything else. Do you know that? Y'all, y'all experience that? Yeah, sure. Cares more about growing our character. And I struggle asking for help. That's my character building I need. I need help. 
I'm thinking I got to figure it out. Maybe, hey, Ron, maybe we can remortgage the house. Hey, maybe we can do this. How can we do this? And then an alumni showed up 10 years ago. He was here 10 years ago. He was 55. He was a chronic alcoholic living in his car. And I thought, there's no way. He's been drinking since fifth grade. What are the odds he's going to... Well, he got recovery. He found God. I watched that spiritual journey of his. He went on. He married his high school sweetheart. They live in Cory. They run an apple orchard. And he shows up and says... He looks like he's 45 now, 10 years later. He looks wonderful. And he gives me a check for $1,000. This never happened. We never had an alumni come back and give me... I'm like, oh, my gosh, you don't know how much this means to me. Right now, we're really struggling. And, oh, thank you so much. And then two weeks later, Ron calls me and says, uh, Steve and his wife are back, and they want to see you for 15 minutes. I said, okay. So I go back, and he says, we're in this little church. You know, after you said that you needed help and it was, you were struggling, I went to our little church of 20 people, and I got up and told them that Next Step needs help right now. And, and so here, here's what the church gave. And he gave me this big check, this little tiny church. And so I turned to my office mate, and I said, um, can I get up in front of Christway? We, I haven't thought about that. I haven't thought to ask you for help because Dana doesn't ask for help. Dana just, I trust God. I know he'll show up. But, you know, sometimes God needs us to partner with him. And people need to know that I need prayer, number one. Please pray that this red tape will be broken and a miracle will happen. And they're telling us there's 20 applications and we don't know how long it'll take. Well, maybe get the, like, somehow push our application up to the top of the stack or, or have them go rapid fire through all these applications. That's one prayer request. The other prayer request is that God would sustain us financially over these next three months because I'm thinking it's going to take three months to get through this, and we've got to continue. You know, we're excited about this new program. We're going to have everything you can imagine offered at Next Step. Parenting, budgeting, job skills, career, anxiety, depression, grief groups, uh, on and on and on, right? And so I'm excited because we're starting that tomorrow. There's a lot of anxiety at Next Step because this is a new thing we're doing. Um, we're going to have social night. We're going to have family day on Sunday. We're going to have all kinds of extra services that we've never been able to afford to do before. And it's because God has shown us, and we want to prove that there's a way that a Christian ministry can outperform the medical model of recovery. We want to outperform and show them without God, there's no recovery. And, and, that's, and that's not to say that that's all you need. That's not to say that there isn't value in the medical. There is value in treatment and clinical. Yes, we, we have clinicians. We know there's value in that. We have to deal with mental health. We understand that. But that's not all. That's not the solution. We need all of this connection, right? Connecting to others, connecting to Christ. So I'm up here to ask you uh, to partner with us. You are, I thank you that the church partners with us. But we're in this valley for the next couple months of trying to make ends meet while we wait to get through this bureaucratic thing that we have to do. Um, so I'm appealing for prayer support, and I'm appealing for financial support. If there's anything extra that you can give dedicated toward Next Step, we would be grateful, um, and it will teach me the lesson of when you ask for help, people respond, right? And it's okay to ask for help and not to try to do it all on your own. I've spent the last week taking care of my best friend who had hip surgery, um, hip replacement surgery, and she had lost her husband in September, so I flew out there to take care of her. And boy, did I learn. She's just as stubborn. It's like, would you please call me? Don't try to get up. Like, why do you keep trying to do this on your own? So it was a way God showed me, you do that, Dana. You try to do it all on your own. 
Um, so I'm trying not to do it on my own, and I'm trusting that God's going to answer those prayers in ways that he's going to get all the glory for all these ways we're not even going to realize what's happening. So I appreciate your help. Thank you for uh, partnering with us all along. Um, continue to keep next step in your prayer, especially pray. We know the enemy's coming after us right now because we're stepping out and taking territory that nobody has ever taken. So please pray for protection for us and for our staff. Um, we are not going to let the enemy get a, strong, get a foothold or even an inch into the door at Next Step, and we just pray for the, for the blood of Christ to be over this ministry as it always has been and for his favor, which has always been there. And I know about my God, he doesn't just pull the rug out from under you. He doesn't lead you down and say, build this building and do this stuff and then go, ha-ha, it was a joke. You know, now you're stuck with this and I'm not going to help you. He doesn't do that. That's human, right? That's not God. God will meet us. And so I look forward to seeing how, how he's going to do that. Thanks. Awesome. Sure. Thank you. Wonderful. <laughs> and this isn't fear. This is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. That's what we say around here. We want to be a face in someone's story and we want to be a part of what God is doing. So if you give today, you can give in the envelopes in the back, drop it in the gray bin, uh, however you might do that. If it's a check, put something down on it. But this is a part where we are a vessel open. I heard a guy tell a story this week. Emma has uh, just finished up a 21-day prayer and fasting stint with the students at the college. And every morning, we'd dial it in, 6 o'clock there, 7 o'clock here. And Melinda and I would have our phones, and we're praying with them and watching. And someone would do a devotion. And the guy that was the president of the college, uh, his name's Pettis, and he, he got up and he said, you know, he told the story. He said, I was a football player in high school, but I wasn't any good. I made the team every year, but I never played. And he said, so I don't even think about playing. I'm not even near the coach because the cornerback, I'm the second string, and the cornerback is so amazing, the guy is going to play every single game. And then he got hurt, and the coach looked around, and he goes, Pettis, Pettis, where, where's Pettis? He said, I'm not even close to him. I'm sitting way down at the other end of the you know, field. And he's like, did he say, did someone say Pettis? You know that, like, he goes, you're in, man, get in. As I was standing in my kitchen making breakfast, listening to him tell this story, I realized that in a football game, there are spectators. Thousands today that will watch games. And then there are folks that are on the sidelines, uniformed up. I mean, standing with the players. But this is what he said. At some point, at some point, you got to cross the line and get in the game. And the title for today's message is, It's Your Time. It is your time. Cross the line and get in the game. We can stand and watch. We can stand and observe. I don't think this room is the spectators. I think this room is folks that are suited up and you got a helmet on. But there's a time that if you cross that special line, and when you cross that line, that means you are in the game. If you have an opportunity to listen this week to last week's message, if you didn't get to hear that, and even the podcast, the podcast that we do on Wednesdays, typically it'll drop on Wednesday or Thursday. But the conversation as we move through these months, the conversations are about the Sunday message. And so we get around the mic and we talk through some of those things. And this week... We're talking about service and giving, and we're talking about being the answer. 
to the prayer Jesus prayed. We were talking about all that. And Deli was sitting there, and Josh and Jeremy and I were at the mic. And Josh and Mindy and their family have been overseas. Jeremy's done mission out west, and I've traveled a lot of different places and done different things. And Deli was sitting there, and it was, it was a super cool moment because we're all pals. We all serve in ministry together, lock arms and walk through the doors. It, it's, it's all good. But it was this moment where Deli said, guys, can you, can you talk to can you talk? Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about this? Because you have some perspectives that, frankly, he didn't say it on the mic, but he's like, I, I haven't lived that. Can you share that? And so you'll be able to listen to it. Please do. I encourage you to. But I said, okay, so let me tell you something, buddy. First of all, there are many aspects, many tributaries that feed into the river of your ministry. Many small tributaries. Small streams of water, small experiences, small moments, backside of the desert stuff that feeds in to these moments of ministry. And you may not know this, but Melinda and I, I married Melinda at 23. I'm a numbers guy, algebra teacher back in the day. I married Melinda at 23. We moved here when we were married 23 years. I was 46. We had moved over 20 times in those 23 years. Witness relocation program. Just, just kidding. So we moved over 20 times in those 23 years. My prayer, when I knew my previous assignment was done, my prayer, I had one single prayer. Some of you know this. One single prayer. Prayed it that. That's this one. One prayer. This prayer. Lord, would you please park me in one place for the next 23 years where I can leverage everything I've learned in the last 23 the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the successes, the failures, all of it. Can you put me in one place? And I traveled this country seeking that place. I believe I'm in that place eight years in. <laughs> leveraging everything I learned. That's what I told Delhi. That's why I told him. I, I said, I'm like, there's this thing where all these things work together, and some of them are silly, and they don't seem powerful, but they all segue into this mosaic of putting you in the right place at the right time. And then Josh, he says, yeah, man. And Jeremy, they're like, you know, there's see a need, hear a voice. <laughs> we got that, right? You see a need. And when you see something, it tells you about your passion. Because other people, frankly, will walk by it because they don't care. I don't mean that in a snarky way. They don't care. It's not, they're, not, they're not passionate about it. But you can see something, and like a fire goes off in you. Follow that fire. Follow that voice. Follow that perspective. That is you bringing your vessel empty for him to work. And then finally I said, man, you know something that's like a lost art? It's a, it's a dying breed. It's that someone actually comes up to their leader or the pastor in their life and says, where do you want me to serve? That doesn't happen that much anymore. Where someone simply walks up and says, okay, I got the whole thing about the vessel. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Andy, tell me where you want me to go. Where do you need me to serve? Tell me what's open. That is a story in my own life. I was a long shot, wild kid, a lot of shame for my parents dying all through college. Crazy, 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 self-destructive. Mary Melinda, she's the antithesis of all that. And we get together and go to a church in Newport News, Virginia. I was in the Navy on a destroyer. It was my first ship assignment. And I go to this church after a deployment. I come back, and the pastor says, hey, you know, what's going on? What do you want? I said, I'd like to serve here. 
And he said, well, we have bus ministry and we have this youth team thing that we're early 90s, this youth team thing that we're trying to put together. I said, I've never done either one of them. Doesn't matter to me. Where do you need me? He said, we would like you to be on this youth team. Okay, Melinda and I joined this youth team. The team was like eight people. Six of them left in six months. And Melinda and I were the default youth pastors. Which opened door after door after door after door. You want to buy me a coffee sometime? I'll tell you the pattern. Door after door after door after door after door. Which is the 23 years that brings you to this place. Because it started with me looking at my pastor and saying... I am here, I am an empty vessel, and I am willing to serve. Where do you need me? It's a lost, it's a lost question. But I would like to bring it back onto your radar. Because if your vessel is open, we are simply partnering with God to put you into a place of fulfillment. A place where when you recognize it's your time, and you're clearing that stuff out, and you are giving you know that you're not giving because God needs it. I mean, good thing Dana told us today because we're not sure if God can provide. Hello? That's not it. That wasn't like a Hail Mary hoping, you know, God ain't going to do it, so maybe if somebody can come up with a few thousand dollars, we'll be okay. Uh-uh. This is about us. It's about the invitation to be in the space of ministry. There was a woman, she gave two cents, two cents, and she is memorialized forever. So you think, I never carry cash. I'm giving, I'm giving all the cash in my, man, I'm gonna, I wish I had an offering pass because I'm going to pull out this cash and throw it in the thing and tell you I gave every dollar in my wallet. I never carry cash, but for some reason I have cash. So I opened it up today, I said, I should have a, I should have a pan up here and I should just like dump Throw the whole thing in there. Praise the Lord and follow me, saints. You know, that whole thing. I have 18 bucks. I felt like, oh, that would be silly. You can't give 18 bucks. Sure you can. And I will. 18, 18 bucks is 18 more. And it's not like saved him with 18 bucks. It's empty-handed. Let me just say one more thing. Vic, you can prepare to come on up. We'll pray in just a second. My pastor taught me this. He said, when you, and it says, I actually have this. Here we go. <laughs> he said, when you reach in your wallet and you have a 50 and a 10 and a 1, what do you give? Well, I ain't giving the 50. <laughs> and the 1, I don't want to be a cheapskate. <laughs> so but no, the 10 is what you get, Lord. <laughs> and you know what he told me? When he, when he has those thoughts. He says, I reach in and take everything in my wallet, everything in my pocket, jacket pockets. It, it, I reach in and I throw it all in there. I will not give place to a lack of faith. I will not give place to a lack of provision. I will not give place to greed or doubt. That's what he taught me. And so if it's 73 cents, empty your pocket. Get that vessel empty so that the anointing can flow in you. That's the call. Everybody can do it. That's the beauty of tithing. It's 10% of whatever you have. And a dollar when all you got is 10 bucks, 
hurts just about as much as 100,000 when, when you got a million. That's, what, that's, the, that's the universal equalizer. We all give the same percentage. Would you pray with me? The Lord is calling us, every single one of us, to step across the line into the field with our vessel empty and our soil unencumbered and open. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to participate. And this is about next step, yes, but it's really about us. It's about our church. It's about your calling into this year of 2023, answering the prayer of availability, answering the prayer of giving, answering the prayer of presence. So, Lord, you have prepared all of us with life experiences. Give us courage to ask, where are the needs? Where are the open spots? And the trust and the faith to walk in them. For that, we give you thanks, Lord. We're grateful in your name, Jesus. Amen.